Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path Adventures actual play. We're not actually playing anything. After Party <laughs> Live, number four. Oh, go. goodness Way gracious. Go. I've programmed. It is programmed into my brain. I'm surprised I don't answer the phone that way. Welcome, everyone. Uh, also, I should have said Pathfolk, so um, I'm Path still folk, getting out of right. that programming of four and a half years. I mean, you did program yourself. Uh, I am your host, uh, one of your hosts today. I am Rick Sandage. I am joined by my esteemed colleagues, uh, Rachel Sandage, um, also the most wonderful wife in the world, and yeah. Jordan Jenkins. Most wonderful husband in the world. Got there before you. Ha! Ah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we are also joined today by special guest host, TJ Kahn. Hi, TJ. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this fine, fine morning? Much earlier for you than us. I'm yeah. obnoxiously perky. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So obviously everyone uh, out there knows, uh, well, I don't necessarily know if all of you know us. If you just stumbled across the stream out of nowhere, uh, welcome. We are Find the Path Ventures. Um, otherwise, I'm going to assume that you have a general idea of who we are, which is, uh, you know, three of us uh, are members of the Find the Path crew. Uh, TJ has been a long-standing friend of the podcast. Uh, I think, uh, TJ, you reached out to us. Uh, I want to say you're in uh, the original, like, uh, 50 or 60 subscribers to the podcast back when we were a, a small affair going through tombs back in uh, Wati. And uh, yeah, it's been a friend of the pod for years and years. Officiated um, Jordan's uh, wedding, actually. Yeah, boy. Twice. Sure did. <laughs> Twice. Twice, actually. <laughs> Twice, both, yes. Both to the same person, but yes, officiated <laughs> two weddings. Yes, yes, to the same person. We should yes, clarify this. To the same person. <laughs> On the record, they both stuck. They just wanted to do it twice. It's true. <laughs> so fun. We did it twice. Um, but yeah, TJ, why don't you tell uh, tell our audience a little bit about uh, whatever you would like to share about yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm here in Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area, a tiny little town called Newark. If you head about 30 minutes that way, you're going to come towards San Francisco. And I live here with my husband, Mark, my two dogs, Milo and Kira. And I'm working right now as a hospital chaplain at Stanford Children's Hospital with the uh, NICU and CVICU patients, which are the little nice. tiny ones to the medium-sized yeah. ones. And then uh, <laughs> I am a retired sign language interpreter and uh, right now off and on freelance fantasy writing and just writing for my own sake. But that's true. That's me. And you actually relatively recently had your first uh, credits with uh, Paiso, I believe. That was the, let's see, the first one was the Bestiary 3 and then Impossible Lands, and there's a couple more projects to be determined. But yes. Also, awesome. you have a children's book. Oh, it's that true. Yeah, any other projects you would like to shout out? <laughs> I'm just going to plug TJ this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Pour on the attention. I don't get enough of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I actually have a, uh, a novel that I'm working on, and it is in oh, the awesome. second round of editing. And then hopefully nice. that will be coming out for a little bit of mischief and some nods to some friends over in Kintargo. Oh, fantastic. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. So uh, TJ is also a backer at our Find the Path tier. So uh, again, for those of you, um, I think there's a little discussion on Discord, which is like, that name sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs> it's because he has mentioned at the end of, uh, of all of our episodes since we started doing the uh, the Patreon shoutouts and all the rest of that stuff. So uh, again, thank you for your patronage and support. Uh, you hear it every week, but thank you for your patronage <laughs> and support. Um, and so uh, one of the benefits of that tier is that you do get to choose a subject for an after party. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, if you would so wish, which I believe that a couple of our uh, Find the Path tier um, level patrons have chosen to do so, you may guest with us and carry on this conversation. And uh, I believe that TJ, you uh, you wanted to discuss the uh, the mystery pertaining towards the death of Aroden. Um Unfortunately, we do not have uh, Jessica here for uh, her to put a string board up behind her and do all the rest of that good stuff. Um, and so we'll uh, we'll just have to make do with what uh, what we have. And of course, uh, we're also going to be um, asking or we're going to be uh, answering questions for Q&A at the end of the stream. So if you have any questions of your own, if you want to uh, theorize your own theories of how uh, Arden met his demise, or if you want to uh, just comment on anything uh, related to the stream or unrelated to the stream, if you have any question at all, um, we will read them. I will not guarantee we will answer them. Like if, if you're just like, haha, they said they'd answer anything. So what's your social security number? Um, no, that won't happen. I mean, I can so, make up a social security number. <laughs> it's true. It's five. <laughs> yes, it's five, five, five. <laughs> it's just five. I'm very old. Yeah, so I suppose let's go ahead and jump into things, shall we? And uh, I believe the first subject we're going to go ahead and start with was uh, was the death of Aroden. So, a uh, spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't read any of the Paizo books. Uh, Aroden was the god of humanity, and he died about 100 years ago. Uh, 4606, to be exact, I believe. Do we have a body? No, no, there no is no habeas corpus uh sort of set up here so or, okay, uh, that adds credence to my theory. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i suppose to set the scene for this murder mystery as it were um it was a hundred years ago uh it was at the the tail end of the last age the beginning of the new age what it was supposed to be a grand age for all of humanity where the Chilexian people, the city of West Crown, was ready to receive Aroden, the god of humanity, the risen, uh, the last Aslanti, who rose up the Starstone Isle and became a god. He was supposed to return back and lead humanity into a new golden age of prosperity. And then there was a whole bunch of storms. Uh, all of his priests uh, either went insane or literally just died. Um, there was a giant crack that formed that whole, uh, for any of those of you who played the CRPG, uh, Wrath of the Righteous, that whole uh, Sarkoris falling into the world wound. There was a massive uh, storm that literally drowned nations that began spinning around off of the uh, western coast of Garoon. And uh, nightmares plaguing the entirety of the world. Um, the Eye of Abendago. And Aroden, uh, for all intents and purposes, seems to have died. And uh, no one's quite positive exactly uh, how or what exactly happened. Uh, and this led to uh, the beginning of the Age of Lost Omens, which was up until that point, up until the death of Aroden, uh, divination was extraordinarily precise. And following the age, or following the dawn of the age of lost omens, uh, suddenly prophecy began to fell, uh, which led to the titular uh, lost omens of said title, and brought about the uh, the age that all of the uh, 
the setting for Galarian, all of the setting for Pathfinder, the Lost Omen settings, as it were, is now in this uh, this world where prophecy doesn't work, and so new heroes have to arise. The the not chosen ones, the uh, whatever the heck it is your players roll up at the table and then show up and say, all right, well, I'm a poppet monk. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm going to stop Tarbefon. Um, Good old Tarby. That entire thing, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of brings us to, uh, that's that's the backstory, as it were, to this murder mystery. And uh, TJ, you are our guest. Um, so I suppose if you want to kind of launch into your own theory pertaining towards uh, Aroden's death, and uh, again, I figure this is going to be a kind of a loose conversation where we sort of talk about the uh, um, the subject in general. Uh, we're not going to be giving any definitive answers. Um, it occurred to me afterwards as like I could have just messaged Luis and really begged, but uh, I don't think he would have. <laughs> I don't think he would have given in. Although as creative director, I I know he knows. Oh sure, yeah. It's in a file somewhere. I've heard that they have huge lore files of everything in the world, so they they have an answer. Oh yeah, uh, actually, funny anecdote. Very quick, and then we'll get to uh, TJ's uh, um, side here. I was at PaizoCon, um, and I believe I was talking to Luis, and I think Luis told me that they have they don't have it on any of the uh, the servers. That they actually have a physical file yeah, that they yeah, showed yeah. him that he opened and looked at and went, "Oh my god." And then they folded and they put it back away. It was like, say, huh. I couldn't remember if that was Luis who told us that story. Cause I, I was like, I'm Luis. pretty sure that somebody asked James Jacobs and he was like, do you really want to know? And then brought him into this room with a file cabinet and laid down the physical copy. <laughs> Someday, maybe all the rest of us will know. I mean, TJ's got more of an end than the rest of us. <laughs> Somebody's like, it's like the secret ingredients of Coke. Yes. Or the, uh, the special KFC, you know, recipe. Hmm. Well, on the subject of secrets, I thought very long and hard about who would want Aerodin dead, or accidentally who benefited from it. So I came out with two distinct theories, uh, both of which might uh, titillate your listenership. The first of which, and I'll be happy to share it, is a group of divine beings, each of whom had been badly wronged by Aerodin during his lifetime and had a reason to remove him. And the second one, is a popular theory about his visit to Earth and an Earthman who could have killed him. So mm. I will leave up to you which you think would be the most interesting to follow. And I don't have my corkboard with the little strings attached, but both of them <laughs> I think will be entertaining. Shall I start with the divine conspiracy? Yes, go with divine. Uh, let's, let's go divine. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, who had it in for Aridin? And I thought of the story by Agatha Christie called Murder on the Orient Express, where, spoiler alert, there's a lot of NPC shenanigans going on in the background that leads sure. to the murder in the story. And that got me thinking, who would benefit divinely from Aridin's removal? And the very first one that came to mind was Phrasma. Okay. <laughs> Nor no, no Norgaber? Oh, man. No, no because... <laughs> Up until that point, everything had been predestined and pre-planned. Mm. Her role was basically just to rubber stamp what everyone's course had been and to pass them on. So she had been removed from any sort of judgment on their cases, except to say, okay, yes, you filled your role, you filled your role, you filled your role. And she probably got extremely bored by that. So she would have the most to benefit from Aridin's removal because it would suddenly put a lot of power into her hands uh, deciding all of the souls of the multiverse. 
Hmm. Especially since she was like, I know you're going to die and I'm not going to say anything about it. Exactly. <laughs> Which is mentioned a lot in the lore that she may be the only god that precisely knows what happens to him and refuses to say anything. Mm-hmm. So her motives may not have been outright malicious to Aridan, but she would have the most to benefit from his removal because that would put prophecy back into the hands of her sphere. Now, do you think she had a hand in his removal or just was the, I know it's going to happen. I'm just not going to do anything. That's exactly what I thought is she wouldn't benefit the most of, I could stop all of these things happening to him because I know exactly what's going to happen. But what if I don't? What if I just let him walk right into his comeuppance? Because up until that point, he had been going around culturally misappropriating, stopping all over the, the realities. And she could have had many, many reasons to not save him in the same way that Batman didn't save somebody from a train. That's true. My, my mind actually went to, uh, we've all seen Final Destination, and so we know what death can do with a, you know, a shower curtain. <laughs> <laughs> it lends credence to the slipped in the shower, except for it was a little bit more malicious than that. <laughs> mm. The second group that I thought would benefit from his removal was the Aboleth and Erasne. So the Aboleth, even though they are themselves not divine, they were able mm-hmm. to call divine level of power, including the Earthfall meteorite, and they had it in for all of the Aslanti. So sure. with, with no spoilers, they had a reason to want to eliminate the entire Aslanti species for ruining their pet project. So mm. it would be easy for them to set up a murder of a divine being because they had already killed two with the fall of the meteorite of Earthfall, that which you may, re- may recall as two Aslanti deities. Yes. So, well, one of them kind of uh, shielded the world um, mm-hmm. as far as that was concerned. So her death was more of a, a sacrifice than a specific uh, the gods targeting her. But yes, that is accurate. So they would have an easy, uh, the means and the opportunity and the motive for the Aboleth. Arasni, on the other hand, had been basically abandoned slash betrayed by Aridan because he could have stopped her death. He could have saved her from Tarpaphon. He could have helped her any number of ways during her time as his mm-hmm. herald. So she, as we know, has a very long memory and almost a sense of spite towards those who have wronged her. And this could easily have fallen into the category of if I don't actively oppose him, I don't have to help him either. So she could have easily have stepped in here or there and given a small nudge towards getting him out of the way. The next one. one I thought was Iomade. Not because she herself wanted him dead, but because she could have stepped into the role of being divinely prepared to take his place. So what if this whole time nobody had killed Aridin yet, no matter what he had done to the world, because there wasn't anyone that could quickly take over his pantheon? And then suddenly Iomedy appears. She's magically gifted. She has a large following. She knows all of his worshipers. And she has all of these divine markers. So suddenly here's an opportunity to replace him because Iomedy could just step in. So purely by innocence, she could have been prepared for his death without being sure. knowing about it. Or even knowing about it. Because again, it's that uh, that weird thing where Aridin had a lot of good heralds in the case of uh, Iomide, in the case of the Red Crusader or Razni mm-hmm. before her fall, yeah. uh, despite the fact that he was neutral. And some might argue neutral leaning evil at times, considering mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that he did. 
Maybe they thought they could like influence him into being more good. Yeah. I always love the the uh, somebody who seems like a good person has actually been evil behind the scenes, you know, kind of yeah. vibe like that. It makes it a more it makes it more interesting than just Ayamade is the perfect bastion of lawful good. You know, the the you know, every every paladin's paladin kind of a character like it gives some more depth to Ayamade. So that'd be interesting. Well, and it would that even work for something like if Ayamide realized what Aridin's actual plans for humanity were. Oh, and they're and terrible. And viewed them as being evil. Um, not Ooh. even necessarily because Aridin oftentimes was with the upliftment of humanity, sometimes to the detriment of everyone else. Mm. Um, and so if she stepped in, to use a classic phrase, for the greater good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. popping up in the chat too. The greater yes, good. The greater good. <laughs> um, have what you'll never have. A great big bushy beard. <laughs> and so, like, they're sitting there over tea or whatever, and he explains her plan, and then she smites him with a teaspoon and kills Aridin. If he had already actually slipped fully into being evil by that point, you know, she could have uh, done a whole smite evil and uh, potentially brought him down, even though he was a more powerful god than she was. I mean, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And then mm -hmm. uh, then have that dark secret, that uh, that corruption at the heart of her faith, as it were, where she herself is not corrupt, but the entirety of her view as being the inheritor is inherently flawed because it is built on this foundation of a lie. And even if she didn't actively kill him herself, she could have seen his future motives as being destructive or yeah. murdering all of the fellows and followers that he should have been protecting. And that would have made her act. Sure. Yeah. So speaking of people that uh, had reason to get rid of him, uh, the next was the Zolgoth demon lord, Zev Gaz. Gav Izeb, there we go. Ah, demon lords. Yeah. <laughs> How are these consonants all Such here? Such a mouthful. X's and Z's galore. It's almost like you need to have a forked tongue to say them. All right. <laughs> because, uh, spoiler alert, there was some things stolen from their homeland underground. So these miniature Mr. sons were taken from their homeland, which resulted in the death of almost their entire species. And their primary deity... I'm just going to call him Zev because it's easier. Yeah. Could easily have wanted to punish Aridin for destroying his chosen people. Again, see previous yeah. statement pertaining towards uh, what Aridin does for humanity is oftentimes not good for anyone else. Right. Yep. He definitely had the motive. And then the last would be the suspiciously absent vault keepers known as the Orvians, who yes. built the vault that the Zulgaths were living in and also built the, the orbs that Aridin stole. Mm -hmm. So they had of a motivation to get rid of him for stealing their stuff, for destroying whatever purpose they had for this mysterious vault that the Zulgas had been living in, and theoretically had the ability, since they were known to have built these city-sized vaults with all of the necessary magical power to keep them alive. So sure. they had all of these. So when I thought about a possible conspiracy of all of these powers conglomerating, some consciously, some unconsciously, some just perhaps being available to take over his pantheon when he died, I came up with a group of the Paizo. <laughs> yeah. Ah, Stringboard. <laughs> Bravo! Oh, that, that is, 
the fuck? That fu- is so good. <laughs> oh say? my there gosh. We no. have Ferasma. We have the Aboleth. We have Erasne. <laughs> we have Iomade. We have Zev. And we have the Orvians, or the secret mm. cult known as Paizo. Paizo. <laughs> oh my god. That seems, that is, that seems that accurate. Take a hero point. That is so good. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Yeah, hero point in game. We decree it. <laughs> I was a little intimidated when you had the notes and <laughs> that. We, we oh, should have known TJ was going to have a Oh my gosh, that is so good. I will message Luis and let him know we're on to them. Yeah, right. He found (laughs) Because think of it, if anybody is going to want to have a non-human dominated future predestined plan, it would be every other deity. They would want to get rid of Eridan so that they could have non-human opportunities for all of their followers. Now, yeah. Paizo notwithstanding, though, I do love the whole murder on the Orient Express idea of just everybody was involved somehow. So everybody's a little bit guilty, but some are a little bit more guilty than others. Yes. At the very end of it, it's just a six way version of the Spider-Man pointing yeah. meme. Where they're <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. That was my first theory. I thought you might like it. I do have one I like more. It. I approve. It's a little short. Yeah, go ahead. Shall I? Okay. Yep. The second one that I thought could have killed him was Enrico Caruso, the operatic singer. Okay. 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 So, so follow right. my theory here a little I'm bit. I'm following. Okay. So we know that Aridan died in 4606, and there was a great mm-hmm. calamity all over the world. We also know that Paizo connected the Earth timeline with the Galarian timeline, so Correct. that this would have been approximately 1906 Earth time. Okay. So I thought, what great calamity happened in 1906 that could have also been connected to Aridan's death? Maybe have been the place where he actually died. And I thought, the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco. I mean, oh, my home's right tying there. Tying it back to your home. Okay, yeah, yeah. all right. Okay. So I thought, well, let's look into who would have been around at the time of the 1906 earthquake who could have killed Aridan. And I thought of Enrico Caruso, the operatic singer, because he had been born in Campania, Italy. But I thought, well, maybe if it wasn't Campania, what if his family came from somewhere else in Italy? And that got me thinking, okay, so Iombade is covering the home bases while Aridin, for we know, for 400 years starts traveling around. He gets bored of Galarian. Maybe he wants to steal other people's stuff. Maybe he starts coming to Earth and visiting some of the famous sites because why not? And while he's visiting in San Francisco, he hears of this great operatic singer, Caruso. And he goes there and listens to this performance. And in this performance, he starts being a little critical. You know, Aridin being Aridin, maybe says, this isn't the best you could do. I know people that could sing better. I know people that could do things better than this. I'm going to have a word with him after the show. So he goes and he meets Enrico Caruso, who happens to come from Italy. So originally, Campania could easily have been confused with Catania, Italy. And he thinks, all right. He's Italian. I picked up a little Italian. I'm going to go and meet him after the show, maybe behind the building. And he starts talking to him and he says, you know, I think you missed a couple of the high notes here. You could have practiced a little bit harder. You could have done a little bit more effort. I really have all these suggestions on how to improve your stuff. Because if anything, Aridin is definitely striking me as the god of mansplaining. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I can, totally I, I can see, see that. Mm-hmm. Yes. He has all as the advice. only woman here right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He has all this to advice. To my knowledge, we haven't mansplained anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, mm. mansplainer. 
he has all these opinions on how other cultures should live their lives, or better yet, how to improve his life at their expense. So he's definitely coming off as a pretty arrogant kind of god to me. So he starts talking to Edward Caruso, yeah. and Enrico Caruso takes it very badly. And that's when Aridin made the fatal mistake, because when you go into Earth, you should learn all of its customs before crossing anyone. You, you should be, be aware of Italians. Yeah, you should be more aware of things that could happen or actually kill a god in Earth. The first of which is a major blunder that he he could have known, but may not have known, being a visitor, is that you never get involved in a land war in Asia. That's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing you never do is you never cross a Sicilian on the subject when death is on the line. I, I love how this the prince is right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Caruso just oh takes my gosh. him out. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Having watched that movie like a hundred million times this is amazing. <laughs> so it could have been Enrico Caruso or it could have been Paizo. Either one works for me. I'm more inclined towards Paizo. I also am inclined to Paizo. I do, I do enjoy the amount of work too. that you did. <laughs> a, 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 as with typical conspiracies, there was a good stretch there. Uh, and, yeah. and one thing I will mention um, is that not to punch any holes in your second, obviously, otherwise waterproof theory. <laughs> <laughs> the time difference is actually 95 years ah. from uh, ah. Galarian to Earth. I don't know why they did that. Well, actually, I do know why they did that. They did that specifically for one book of... Uh, one adventure path. I yeah. won't mention it. But yeah, the, uh, the time difference between the two is actually 95 years. I was reading so. on that. And they said that there's also a difference in the leap years, too. Once every yeah. eight years instead of every four. Yeah, so uh, but, which is very odd. Yeah, but 1906 was a major calamity, and it made sense for the possible death of Aridin. So it was a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. Well, again, <laughs> you know, timey wimey things—they're gods. So it could be any number of a uh, number of elements there. But no, both very fun conspiracies. I lean toward Paizo as well. Yeah, I like I, mean, I like Paizo a lot. That one, especially because it has Paizo in it, which is so good. I, I think it's so he good. sold me when it was uh, so Agatha Christie wrote this novel, and I'm just like, <laughs> uh, it is literally of course, one of my favorite like, books. Sold. And it is also it is one book that I taught to uh, so many of my students. So uh, I just really lean toward that one. Yeah, uh, that was great author, wonderful, wonderful short stories. Mm-hmm. So I have presented my theories for the death of Aridin. All right. Well, Jordan, do you want to step up? Because yes. you seem to be eager. So my conspiracy has to do with one of the established sources of deific power. So it's established in uh, the various books across uh, the Paizo lines that belief in a god grants them some power, right? So the reason why you could say that some of the more major like inner sea deities are more powerful, shall we say, than like the Osiriani deities has to do with the influence that they can wield within the world. Like the um, this is established the actually in a adventure path where a god is actually born from belief. So that's, you know, no spoilers, but that is something that has been established as a way to become a deity, if you will, uh, as well yeah. as like the Starstone, right? Like Raspberry, the living god. Raspberry, the living god? All hail the living god. Uh, All hail god. the living god. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like I I like that idea because if you wanted to kill, you don't have to necessarily kill a <laughs> deity. You can make them so powerless that they're not useful if you could cut them off from their believers. So my theory is, shall we say somebody? I like Norgaver personally, but let's say somebody because he was a you know more recent deity uh, found a way to disconnect Aridin from his followers. 
and the law of unintended consequences took everything else from there, right? So like nobody knew that prophecy was gonna be broken or anything like that. It was just a, I'm gonna see if this is possible because if so, it's a huge weakness in all you know divine beings basically. So mm -hmm. I like the idea of like a poison or some other type of you know ritual or something that didn't necessarily kill Aridin directly, but cut him off enough from his uh, sources of belief and, you know, caused all of his followers to go mad and, you know, all of that to where he's not even dead. He's just so unpowered that he's only sustained by the last few couple of people who still believe in him. Like, it's actually very uncommon to find people who still believe in Aridin, even though he is, you know, for all intents and purposes to the people of Galarian dead. Yeah. I mean, yeah. technically speaking, it, it, it has a certain ring of, uh, of possibility there where... Um, they have established again, as you're kind of saying, as far as the Osirian uh, gods are concerned, that, you know, the lack of worship can feasibly weaken the gods. Um, in the case of the Osiriani deities, you know, in ancient Osirian, they're like, haha, we're super powerful. Oh, wait, you know, our land's been conquered. Let's just go to Earth. Yeah. And then let them worship us there for a little bit. And, uh, okay, well, that all kind of fell apart. Um, <laughs> screw you, Romans. And so they turned around and came back. <laughs> yeah, but they're never as powerful as they were before, right? So, so is your theory that Aridin was killed because of this, or is Aridin off in a like a hibernation? Is Aridin is know? he doing the Odin sleep? Is that yeah. the question? Yeah. Um. I I I like to think that or on it's, Earth. Yeah, I like to I like to pull the Zamandor uh, theory that as long as somebody knows of him, he's still alive, right? Uh, yeah. Like I like that idea of like okay, there is still at least one person who knows his name. He cannot be dead, but. You know, it's one of those like think about like the kind of amount of power it takes to divine to grant divine spells. He doesn't even have enough power to do that for one person in, you know, all the cosmos. So it could be he goes to another, you know, he's going he's off on another planet trying to like, you know, start up his faith again, but he's having to do it as like, you know, almost a man, right? Like maybe a little bit more powerful than a regular Ooh, man. Second conspiracy conspiracy theory that I have going out of my head, but I'm not gonna mention. <laughs> We're here for the, we're here for the. I mean, this hut. is the Stringboard session, no, so. <laughs> Jordan, are you familiar with the uh, Fables graphic novel series? Uh, I am not. Oh, it's very good. Well, in the Fables comic book slash graphic novel series, there's the belief that a fable, uh, like Cinderella, for example, is more powerful depending upon how many people have read and are familiar with her story. Yes. So she becomes yeah. longer lived, more mortal, more powers, more abilities, depending on how many people believe in her story. And mm. in the comic books slash graphic novels, each of the characters has a chance to change their perspective of how they're seen by the public at large. And it affects their reincarnation ability in a way. It's much more complicated than that, but it's a very good series and it sort of follows your idea. I think it kind of came up in the the Wolf Among Us game yes. too. Yes, I was about to say yeah. if you have not played the Wolf Among Us, the Telltale game, which is actually getting a second season, is probably the best of the Telltale game series. Yeah. Um, the Wolf Among Us is phenomenal, and the reason that Big B Wolf, the Big Bad Wolf, is so powerful is because everyone knows of the Big Bad Wolf. And I believe there is a, I think there is an arc in the Fable comic, uh, I guess very minor spoilers for the Fable comic here, where um, Jack, who is all of the Jacks, remember he's Jack and the Beanstalk, he's yep. Jack and Jill, he's all of the Jacks as one person named Jack, writes a script and sells it to Hollywood and becomes a really famous movie or something. He becomes yep. super powerful because of it. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, like it's a, it's a, I suppose a very similar ideal there. Yeah, and, uh, so, somebody, somebody's trying in the comments uh, is like, wait, wouldn't this be used on other people if it actually did work? It worked, but 
it caused so much chaos that the only person who probably would want to actually do it is Rovagug, and he can't, doesn't have the capability. So that's my theory is like, they did it one time and then went, wow, that was real. Okay, that was, I'm evil, but I'm like, dang, that's real evil, man. Yeah. The biggest problem with the idea of it being Rovagug is the idea that he had that level of foresight or yeah. patience to <laughs> yeah, accomplish exactly. anything. <laughs> exactly. He could have outsourced. Sure. Anyway, Rachel, you apparently that inspired a, uh, a conspiracy theory. So let's well, go ahead and hear it. I already had three. I, my conspiracy theory I was thinking of uh, was kind of unrelated, and I figured it was not good to go on an ADHD tangent. Um, so, but I do have three different theories for Aaron, and mine are probably not super detailed because um, I, as a player, do not like to dive into too much of the lore because there's so many of the APs I haven't played, and since I never know what we're going to play next, I like to keep my I like to discover things as I play them, not necessarily front load it. I so. appreciate I, I recently had to announce another ban from uh, um, the Pathfinder wiki as we we're getting into uh, book two of uh, War for the Crown, uh, obviously. And uh, the Pathfinder wiki for all of Merritt County and book two of War for the Crown is nuts. Like first sentence of every single thing is just like, here's the big spoiler. Yeah, I was told specifically... Mm. Um, uh, don't go on there, even if you're checking for correct spellings. That's like, even if you're checking spellings, because like, it will... Things need to be spelled correctly. <laughs> it will jump out at you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not allowed on the wiki page right now. Uh, but as far... So first theory, I think it kind of goes close to what has already been discussed. I think Aradin faked his death, and he effed off somewhere to another world, and is like, I'm a god here now. Galarian will be fine. <laughs> The god That's of humanity like abandons humanity. I mean, we've already established that he's a bit of a jerk. I figure, you know, and also, you know, prophecy. Maybe he saw that humanity was going to turn on him and he's like, screw you guys. I'm going to turn on you first. Like, no, ah. he, OK, here's what he saw. He saw the same thing that happens on Earth. And he's like, they're going to get nuclear weapons. They're going to destroy themselves. You know, it's going to be horrible. I just shouldn't. I don't even know if he cares that much because the way he's been established, he's very selfish. So I think he's just like, ah, they're not going to worship me anymore. I'm not going to bother with that. So he's just, he's gone somewhere. So that's theory number one. Um, theory number two is I think in while he was doing all of his magic stuff, I don't know. He seems to be, uh, strikes me as the type that would dabble in things that should not be dabbled in. Um, so I think he ended up in a hitherto unknown plane of existence and he is trapped. And that <laughs> amuses me. Like, it, it kind of makes he me did, think of oopsie. the Sonic movie where Eggman gets trapped on another planet. Like, I feel like that's oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It made me think of the end of the Superman movie where it's just like Zod spinning oh, through yeah, space. Oh, yeah, Zod in like, the, uh, the, um, <laughs> So I, I, that's kind of one of the ones where I'm just like, he just, he messed up and now he's, he's getting his come up in somewhere else. Phantom and the, zone. the Thank effects you, uh... of that, like cut him off, you know, from somewhere else. It sounds a little bit like the, what if the Marvel, what if series where they had Dr. Strange <laughs> imprison himself. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think Aridin did it intentionally. I, I think he just messed up because he seems the, you know, arrogant type that it's like oh i'll be fine and everybody like, told him don't go oh. to the phantom zone and he's like nah y'all are wrong yes so <laughs> uh, my last theory I'm invincible, bro. my last theory is also that he is i think it goes very much with uh, what uh, jordan was saying that i was like he's not dead i think he was somehow stripped of his divine powers and he is wandering around galarian I think like maybe he had the opposite of the star stone. Maybe he was messing with the, the star, stone, star stone and rather than getting <laughs> godlike powers, he lost his godlike powers. And now he's just wandering Galarian, like trying to figure out how to get him back. 
He spent the last 100 years walking on foot trying to get to a boat so that he can get to the Isle of Cortos to go to <laughs> do the test of the yeah. Star Stone. <laughs> Rachel, is that you know, a passive or an active stripping of his powers? I don't know. I didn't get that far into my string board. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a big question mark right there as, as who's the culprit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, but been... I like the idea of that last one that that it's. Well, honestly, with most of mine, I, I like the idea of karma. So I like the idea that he messed up and that's the reason. But I also like the idea of like, maybe he was going to do something to get more power and somebody was like, now nah, we're going to mess with that. And so like he activates something and it does the opposite effect. And they're like, well, look at you now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then uh, with that idea of it being active or passive, technically speaking, depending upon which version of the Starstone you're talking about, because there have been conflicting rules pertaining towards the Starstone. The Starstone either granted Aerodin his powers, or because of Aerodin's selfless actions, when he touched the Starstone, the gods granted him his powers, collectively. And so if it was the gods collectively granted the power, the gods could collectively this? take it away again. Ooh, that's kind of like some Khonshu stuff from, uh, uh, why can my brain not think of the Marvel show? Uh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight, yeah. And they were like, mm -hmm. nope, like, yeah. You you moved the stars. That's a bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad Moon Knight. Okay. Bad. Well, he didn't do it. Contra did it. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so should I launch yeah. into my my theory? Is it going to be do. complicated? Because I I'm looking forward to it. Not incredibly <laughs> complicated. A little complicated. <laughs> so I've read extensively on Aerodin. I am running uh, Tyrant's Grasp, which uh, minor spoilers here does have a small involvement from one of Aerodin's previous heralds and gets into a, a lot of his motivation. Aridin is one of those interesting characters that has an incredibly good PR department in that Aridin does a bunch of terrible, terrible things, yeah. um, but is still viewed as being a heroic deity. Obviously, you know, the, the whole events and everything that happened with Arasni, you know, there are a bunch of questions of why with Aridin. You know, why did he fight Tarbathon before, but didn't show up to fight the Whispering Tyrant? You know, why did... Arasni have to go rogue to battle the Whispering Tyrant. Why didn't he help all of these times that he could? And I believe it's because Aridin is kind of a selfish um, schwing to uh, to use our sound effect so that I don't have to, uh, to go in there. So, so basically what you're saying is Aridin's human. Yeah, he is. An, yeah. Well, even, even worse than that, like going back and looking at all of Aridin's history, um, when Aridin was a mortal, when Aslant was still at his height, he basically went, they went to him and said, forge us an awesome sword so that we can give to, you know, appoint our new ruler. And he's like, great. All right. And then whoever has this sword will be our ruler. It's like, well, I'm holding it right now. <laughs> I, I made you the, the sword, blade. but yeah. it's still oh, me. You can see he read the he read up on the lore of genies and was like, "I'm going to twist this wish." No, he, he, he has like, some Asmodean levels of fine print. Yes, <laughs> and again, there are sometimes when what Aridin does doesn't actually make sense with his character, as Aridin is a very selfish character. Despite that, though, you know he occasionally went, "All right, well, I'm going to go and stop this Tarbifon guy," but why? Other than the fact that he keeps calling you out and maybe you're arrogant enough to want to do that. You know, why did you bind um, this demon prince under the Lake of Mists and all the rest of that stuff in Sikoris? Why did you do all of these things? And I think it's because he always had an end goal. And the one thing that never made sense for me is why raise up the Starstone Islands? Why bring up, you're an uber powerful wizard. You could have flown down to the stone there. Why bring it up here? Why build a cathedral around it? Why make this entire city around this one device? 
uh, and especially afterwards, why do all of these things to allow other people to achieve divinity? Like, why did you why did you do this? Because Aridan doesn't do anything without a reason. So my actual theory on this, my crackpot theory on this is, when the Abelists called down the Starstone, the Starstone, the chunks of meteorite that included the Starstone inside of it, were supposedly the remnants of a dead planet. Um, that not only would the uh, apocalyptic meteor strike um, create this cloud of death and destruction and destroy the ancient Aslanti people, but it was actually magically imbued with destructive power to wipe out this almost this necromatic bomb to wipe out all life on the planet. And again, as TJ actually already served up, teed up this as it were, the goddess of the moon in the ancient Aslanti times moved her, literally moved the moon in the path of this to shatter the the uh, the meteorite strike, uh, which killed her in the process. And the god of battle then basically sacrificed himself to remove or to almost suppress the necromatic power inside of the Starstone so that it would not, uh, even though it still struck the planet, so that it would not then cause this necromatic explosion that killed all life on the planet. Turning Galarian into Eox, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and... So Aridan eventually rose up the Starstone, feasibly even knew all of this because he was borderline a god at that point. Um, when you become a powerful enough wizard, um, you become borderline <laughs> a god. And rose up the Starstone and went in there and then bound away so that the, the Starstone's evil could never be used again, which is a shockingly selfless act from Aridan. Again, neutral. What if his plan was never to just stop there? What if he did, instead of the gods granting him divinity, what if the Starstone absorbed the divinity from the two gods it killed, and he stole it to become Ooh, a god? Ooh, interesting theory, okay. That there was still enough resident, you know, residual energy in there. I'm combining multiple now, because a couple of these occurred to me when you guys were talking. And what if somehow the Starstone granting him power also allows him to gain the power from other people that are granted the power from the Starstone? Hmm. So what if Caden coming in there and becoming a god suddenly mean that Aridan, who is only getting lawful followers, is now getting the power of chaotic followers? What if Aridan, who is already neutral, and then this Starstone granted the power to Iomide, is suddenly getting the power of good followers? What if Norgaber, who is evil, touches the Starstone, gains his power, and Aridan is suddenly getting a small inkling of the power of the evil followers of Norgaber? And so he's, in essence, trying to use the stone as an incubator to build up power. And when this uh, this new age, the age of glory that was supposed to come, would be Aridan claiming all of this power himself and becoming a more powerful god than even the goddess of death in the case of Phrasma, even the most powerful of deities, because he's, in essence, draining all of the magic power away from all of the other gods. Now, I like heist. the idea of karma. I do, too. And I like the idea that inside of the Starstone was still the necromatic power that was supposed to wipe out all the life on the planet. And oh. so Aridan performing this ritual, draining all of this divinity away, also drained away the last of the divinity from the god of battle that was holding that necromatic power back. And so all of that necromatic energy went into him. And so in essence killed him in the process. Um, I think the biggest twist would be whether or not it truly killed him or if it made him an incredibly powerful divinity that is also now dead um, or even undead at that point. Because could you even kill something like that? 
that he's in essence absorbed all this power of both godhood and death. Maybe he's some sort of dark force. Dark Souls with this, like this I went very Dark Elden Souls with this. Ring-ish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, without spoiling anything, we know that he did something similar in the lands of Zopatl or Shopatl. Yes. And so he knows the technology for it, and he's proven that he can invest a portion of his soul into a power source. Yes. So it's more than feasible. There are a number of parallels between Aroden and Tarbathon. Again, he invested part of his soul into another object, which is basically making a phylactery. Um, And so this idea of him going, well, I need to guarantee my immortality, because unlike many of the gods, Phrasma being around literally since the beginning of time, he has that finite view, that fear of death. And so the constant accumulation of power has really been the hallmark of his entire existence. So the idea that he would set up this, this test and all the rest of that stuff to get people to go in there and touch the Starstone and grant them divinity and get nothing out of it seems very weird for the Aridin as he's been established. I so that's my lo- conspiracy I also theory. love that you turned Aridin into an MLM scheme. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what if the whole reason for bringing the Starstone up was so that he could control who became gods and he would be the one to decide only these ones will be beholden to me and I can control. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I kind of wonder, it I think ties in with your theory then, uh, TJ, because what if the other gods started realizing what he was doing and they're like, well, we can't let this happen. We have to put a stop to this. So yeah. they all rally together to be like, so we know he's the god of humanity, but we got to take him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, heck, even a conspiracy just of the other risen gods. Um, the interesting yeah. idea of King Kaelin, Ayamade setting aside, you know, their differences with Norgaber and going, we have to do something to stop him. Uh, yeah, even, even if you were an elevated god or not, like him getting that amount of power yeah. is not okay. I also like the idea behind this because um, the idea of this necromatic burst that killed Aridin, I like the idea that gods are intrinsically, because of the divine power they grant, tied to their followers. And so the necromatic backlash is what killed so many of his followers. Um, in essence, Ooh. they were just level drained to death because he was hit. He was hit with, hit with so many levels of neg- or so many negative levels that actually went to <laughs> hundreds <laughs> or thousands of other followers. He created an MLM. <laughs> okay, that's it, it, so the greatest evil that, in the world, MLMs. Yeah, it's basically that that final scene in the Spawn movie. If anybody saw that from back in the '90s, where uh, Spawn goes out and he kills the entire army of Hell, but it's just like chain lightning going to all of them. Yes. With the hmm. worst CGI graphics in oh, a just, just movie terrible ever. CGI. <laughs> but like, you know oh. what? I still have a soft spot for that movie. I have a soft spot for that. I like Spawn as a character, um, but that movie was so bad. <laughs> now, John Leguizamo was great in it. Yes, he was. I guess segueing away a little bit, I, I think obviously these are all just theories, and we we as four different people between uh, TJ presenting two theories and Rachel presenting three. Was it three? Yeah. Three, and then Jordan and I both presenting a theory. We have presented seven different options. Uh, four <laughs> people coming up with seven total ideas of what could have happened here. And maybe one of these is right. Personally, I really hope it's the opera singer, but maybe one of these <laughs> <Yeah>. is right. <laughs> I think the timing didn't work out on that. The you might need to do some more research on uh, on some events in Earth, because I think it holds credence, but we got to make sure the timeline is right. It's true. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yep. Like any good conspiracy theory, you can come back and just say, I'm sorry, I just misread the numbers. It's, it's actually next Thursday. <laughs> Move those goalposts just a little bit. <laughs> like yep, I, pro- I promise that this person will be coming back from the dead next Thursday. So it gets into our, our kind of our second subject of this, which is actually how big mysteries help games. Because we were all just really engaged in this idea of like, what happened to Aridin? How did Aridin die? And big mysteries, I've always felt like really help games. You know, you're just talking right there about, uh, Rachel was a second ago about how, you know, I went all Dark Souls or FromSoft with this. And FromSoft is notorious for providing breadcrumbs scattered about item descriptions uh, in video games and then no real answers to anything where you're just like, what does this mean? What is this person talking about? What is an albumeric? What is this thing? Like, what's this is just constantly playing in my head. Anytime he's playing one of those games where I'm just like, what's this? What's this? (laughs) And I never piece it together. I never get the magic at the end, like in the song, and it ticks me off. The great writer James L. Sutter, who's done a lot of work for Paizo, has a line mm-hmm. about that. He says, if you want to write a good fantasy story, for everything that you solve, have two more questions. I know, but I like yep. answers. <laughs> and so um, I figured we'd take a little bit of time to just kind of discuss how having big unsolved mysteries in your game can help improve your game, improve your story, improve the setting. The whole idea that Paizo has stated that the death of Aerodin will never be answered. Um, is something that they've stated on numerous occasions. See, and then there's part of me that's like, we're partners. Maybe one day we'll get to go to the (laughs) office and we'll get to see the file and and just know I won't tell anyone, but I want to (laughs) know. So here, I'll go ahead and kick off this conversation. You guys can tell me whether or not you agree or disagree with this uh, this premise of mine. I find, especially in literature as a whole, but I find that this applies also to tabletop RPGs. The cause never matters as much as the effect. And one of the ideas behind this is that what actually caused this to happen, uh, what caused Aerodin to die, isn't actually as important, not even as the effect, which is Aerodin's death, but the effect on the world. The world state is what actually matters, not what caused Aerodin to die. I find that this is true in a lot of different fiction that I read. Uh, famously, actually, uh, I'll actually, I'll mention a short story that almost everyone has almost assuredly read which is Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Casca de Amontillado. Amontillado. I'm not very good at my Italian. I'm assuming that everyone here uh, sitting at our virtual table here has read this. Yes? Absolutely not. Really? Uh, If you were going to go for an Edgar Allan Poe story that almost everyone has read, you probably were better off with the Telltale Heart. Casca de Amontillado is not actually as well known. Oh, I I read it in school, so I thought that was... Well, a lot of uh, people did, but the the curriculums across the nation are... uh, Varied. (laughs) Varied and interesting, having had to do projects to break down standards. (laughs) You were right, (laughs) teased right out in the chat that apparently that was a huge assumption of mine. Um, (laughs) Yeah, all all the people in in the chat are like, what? Yeah, I was going to say, you're more likely Telltale Heart because that was okay. parodied well, in the Well, Telltale Heart doesn't actually explain it quite as well. So, very long story short, spoiler here for a 170-year-old story, probably. The whole premise of this story is that a man takes one of his enemies and bricks him up in a wall down in the cellar, just summing up as, as frenemy. And one of the, the great things about this story is it starts out, it is all from the perspective of the narrator of the man who is going to be bricking up this uh, this other man, Fortunato. And he Not starts off the story saying that Fortunato has slighted him a hundred times, has given him insult all of these times, but that he's finally gone too far. That he has done a crime so heinous 
that he deserves to be buried alive. And you never find out what this crime is. You never know why he's doing it because the cause doesn't actually matter. It's the effect that drives the story. The Telltale Heart's also a good example of that, where the Telltale Heart literally starts with, I loved the old man. He never did me any harm. It was was his his eye. eye. I think it was his eye. That there was just something about this old man's eye that just, now I have to murder him. And so I feel like that is very true in storytelling and very true in tabletop gaming, where if you have a character that shows up, um, say that you have a, um, you're running a game, you're running a homebrew, and then you just say, this guy shows up and, uh, He asks for all of your help. He's a prince and he's fleeing actually from his homeland because he's supposed to inherit the throne, but his father is incredibly paranoid and thinks that all of his children are out to kill him. The reason why his father thinks this doesn't matter. It's only that that is why that character is now in the story. I feel like it's kind of the same with big mysteries in in games. Sometimes you don't need to answer them. Poe is notorious for that as well. There's a lot of his stories that he just kind of leaves it up to the imagination. In college, we had an entire like three weeks straight of discussing the Telltale Heart and reliable narrators and all that. I mean, it's he does it incredibly well. I love Poe, but I am definitely one of those people. I was like, just tell me, you know, I like answers. (laughs) I think I've established this. But I do think it adds something to the story because it draws me in. It makes me want to talk about it more because I want to get to the point where I have a satisfactory answer, even if it's not what it is. As long as I feel satisfied with it, we good. Rachel (laughs) plays investigators because I think Rachel wants the answers. The answers. I love investigators. The interesting thing about it is human psychology. We like patterns and order and we seek understanding. And it's the seeking of understanding that is interesting for us, because as soon as we know how something works, it's suddenly less interesting, right? The the twist in a story is great, but as soon as you know that twist, it's not as good ever again, right? That's why the uh, first version of The Matrix failed, is because everything was perfect and nobody had to do anything. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) So, like, there has to be some, like, unknown. There has to be some, like, people are so interested in space because there's so much we don't know about that. Whereas we're not nearly as interested in like how our phones work because we know how the phones work, right? Like you can go on Google and find out exactly how your phone works. It's not as interesting. So I think narratively answering all of your questions and leaving no mysteries means that there's there's nowhere to go, right? Like yeah. if you look yeah. at the huge fandoms that um, you know people have established over the years, it has been from little tiny details that have come and people have expanded into their own you know, conspiracy theories. Like I've read tons of conspiracy theories on like children's shows and how like, you know, like, uh, what was it? Ed, Ed and Eddie is a, they're all in purgatory, right? And it's like some <laughs> yeah, weird animated that show that has nothing to do with anything. And some and people are like, man, that's that's totally legit. Like this show is way more than you think it is. And like, we seek to, to try to fully understand something by filling in those blanks. And that's where yeah. I think a lot of interest is. is I mean, not... how long did that drive uh, Game of Thrones with things oh, where yeah, everyone's 100%. like, what is, what is, you know, who are Jon Snow's parents? Or um, uh, what's that? Uh, Lost, right? Lost ran yeah. that too. Yeah. Like it ran on the entire <laughs> idea of you're never going to know what's going on fully. And actually Buffy the advantage, um, kind of what Jordan was just saying, where um, once you know, it's like, oh, okay. Sometimes the advantage of having a big mystery that you never answer is that the audience has to fill it in. If there's not a canonical answer, speaking of Lost, that when you actually got the answer to Lost, everyone went, that kind of sucked. Yep. Speaking from my side of the profession, uh, I deal with a lot of world religions, and that's the foundation of religion, is to try to put a framework around the unknowable. 
And the most successful way to do that is something that we, we call exegetical work, where you take something mm. that was indecipherable to us and try to apply it to modern times. So why does this phrase from the ancient Upanishads say this? And then try to make sense of it according to our current values so that every generation finds a new definition for that same phrase. Yeah. That's very interesting. I like that. I think the idea of having you know, that deep level of discussion, that deep level of introspection, as you were just um, saying, helps stories. And having these big mysteries at the, at the heart of your story helps. Um, I've always been kind of curious about, Rachel and I, small anecdotal side note here. Rachel and I have recently been playing uh, Final Fantasy 16. Mm-hmm. And I have a video game mentality and I have a tabletop game mentality. And I find strangely my tabletop game mentality changes whether or not it was a homebrew um, that I used to play in occasionally or whether or not it's an established setting, which is what I play in now. I've been playing in since the Forgotten Realms. When we were playing Final Fantasy 16, you start off the game and it's okay, well, you know, there's this thing. And by the way, there's this blight going on. There's this uh, this weird thing that's killing off all life. And the moment it is brought up in the game, I'm like, well, I'm the main character, so I'm going to figure out what that is eventually and stop it because I'm the main character. Or at the very least, I'm going to figure out what it is. And sure enough, minor spoilers here, but it does tie into the main story. Obviously, it does because you're playing in a video game where your character is the center of the world. And I find in homebrew settings so often, if a if a major mystery is presented, the players, because they are like, this is a world that my friend, my game master and friend, is making for us to play in, he would not introduce a mystery if it did not somehow impact the plot that we are currently playing. They haven't met you. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is I, well, one, I, I do love, you know, not for, or doing side shadowing, doing foreshadowing that goes nowhere. But at the same time, since I run things in, a, in an established setting, it's so much bigger that it's not just the, uh, I sometimes f- find that when you're doing homebrew for a lot of uh, players in a homebrew setting, anecdotal evidence um, being my my basis for this, that a common view is almost that uh, object permanency view of small children, which is if I can see it, it's there. And if I can't see it, it doesn't exist, which is why sometimes for them, it will feel like, oh, well, that came out of left field that you just introduced this prince from a land that I've never heard of before. (laughs) But that obviously must be our next major plot point, because Mm. you've mentioned something about this this king that kicked this prince out. So that must be a main story element. And instead, it's like, no, no, it's just an interesting NPC to flesh out the world. But because but again, I have this because mentality. because we seek out order and we're trying to yeah. make it make sense that the, there can't be something that came out of left field. It has to be something that yeah. was, you know, is intrinsic to the plot, right? It's, yep. it's the it idea sense. that it's the Chekhov's gun. If you showed a gun on a wall, it has to be used. Mm-hmm. And doesn't every shipping between major characters in a story happen because people want to imagine what could be going on in the background? Yeah, that's yeah. we invent all of these stories of what we want the story to be like. And when somebody yeah. comes out with their version of it, we're like, no, that isn't what I had in my head. Like all the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. 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 And again, that, that gets back to the whole idea of sometimes answering the question is less satisfactory mm-hmm. because it doesn't match up with the answer that they had in their heads. You know, it's that whole thing of uh, looking at the last season of Game of Thrones. It's sometimes... Um because you know, I, I don't read as prolifically as I used to, but with some of my favorite <clears throat> book series um, that did not have like the finished, like they weren't finished series. So you got like three or four books in and the amount of fan fiction that that is written about <laughs> some of these series or whatever. And they get detailed and deep mm-hmm. because I, I myself am part of many fandoms. I go all in on some of these and... <laughs> 
sometimes the fan fiction has better endings or better explanations and then the series will finish and you're just like no i read something better over here so that's not my ending it may be canonical but i don't agree with that (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and yeah (laughs) that kind of goes back to the idea of uh of homebrew versus um established settings is sometimes i'll read something in established setting i'm like i don't like that um, you know, I'll read a book and just go, I don't like that, or I would have done that differently. Again, every time that someone's listening to one of our actual plays and I change something in an adventure path, it's just because I wanted to do it differently. I didn't like the way it was written, which is why the party never fights at Yucks. They're all friends. <laughs> um, but I do feel like it gets into that idea of uh, if you have one writer and this one writer is in charge of writing this entire world, then you only have one person's mind trying to come up with a solution and an answer. Yep. But Rachel just mentioned the, the fan fiction angle of it, mm-hmm. where now you've got 10,000 people writing fan fiction. And one of those 10,000 people, like putting a, you know, a chimpanzee in a room full of typewriters, will bring out Shakespeare eventually. That, but it's, that, if is, you know, that is a little bit of an insult to some of these fan fiction writers. I don't mean it as an insult, <laughs> but it's more that idea of if you have so many people punching away at so many keyboards yeah. that one of them will come up with this this brilliance. Yeah, and someone brought up in the chat that it's occasionally you have somebody who wrote this really great ending and like the original writer's like, well, I can't go with that because that's what I was going to do. Now I can't do it because it's different. It's like... Somebody called it so that I can't use that. Yeah, Yeah. it's like... And it's like, but sometimes just give us what we want. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad because I will say fan service is not always a good thing. So uh, let me put that Fan service is not always a good thing. (laughs) I do feel like that that is what sabotaged the end of the television series for Game of Thrones (laughs) is I feel like the writers and the directors looked at it and said... Well, everyone already knows where this is going to go. So let's not give them what they want. It's that whole idea of, you know, don't give them what they want. Give them what they don't know that they want. Yeah. Well, isn't every judge and GM and DM in the whole tabletop role-playing game world basically rewriting the same story? Aren't they all applying their own vision of what could have happened? Yeah. yeah. I think that that is one of the – you hit on a, a great point where I think that is one of the quintessentially phenomenal things about tabletop gaming is I'm running Hell's Rebels right now. Hell's Rebels is an extraordinarily popular Pathfinder adventure path. Uh, quite feasibly in their top three or four. You know, up there with Kingmaker and Rise of the Rune Lords. And so many people have played Hell's Rebels. And so many people go on our social media and say how my story is so quintessentially different than theirs. And they even discuss where they did things differently, where they went other directions. And that is because we are all taking the same, um, I think I used the analogy once, that we are, we're all buying cookie cutter houses. We're all buying, you know, one of those one of those housing communities that crops up where every single house is identical. Prefab. But what we're putting, what furniture we're putting in those houses, what we're painting the walls of those houses, what lawn gnomes or flamingos or whatever we're putting on the front lawn are all different. Dragons. And then that is what makes those sandworms. stories feel like home to our players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure our neighbors love the Beetlejuice sandworm in our yard. <laughs> yeah, we've got a big Beetlejuice sandworm in our front yard. And that's what makes our house different than any of the other houses here. Despite <laughs> the fact that they are all like they're all built at the same time and they all have a very similar design. Um, yeah. So I think that that's what makes tabletop gaming so interesting. And this is a very small side tangent for me. But anytime that I, I hear someone say that they don't like pre-published adventures, because they they crush creativity. That idea of sometimes people want a blank sheet of paper and to be given 50 colors. 
Yep. And sometimes people want a sheet of paper with a drawing already on it, and they want to color the drawing however they want. Yes. It's called differentiation. It's, you know, some people need a little bit more than others. Like I'm the one that needs the drawing, whereas (laughs) I'm pretty sure Rick could take one of these canvases I got in the box behind me and just go. And it's just, it's differences in personality. I think people forget that. It's like, we're all different. Sometimes some of us need a leg up. Some of us don't. And you just got to have fun with it. Like, yeah. It's the foundation of family dynamics. When a child is growing up, you could have six children with almost identical DNAs, and each of them needs to differentiate and find some way to stand out, some way to be getting attention or approval or love or any number of ways, and they'll develop different personalities because the same genes could actuate in a million different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and honestly, like I think, especially in like tabletop gaming, the stories that we tell, even if they came from the same publisher, are not deterministic. And what I mean by that is you do not have the same input giving the same output, right? So like, just because you have the same framework doesn't mean you have the same adventure. Like I'm running Quest for the Frozen Flame right now with some friends and Jess. Jess, as we all know, is a huge druid. That adventure path has a lot of animals in it, um, some of which you can make friends. And she has never been more delighted than when she gets to make a new friend of some animal, right? <laughs> some players are not going to care about that one iota. They're going to be like, eh, I don't care about that, right? I'm more for the, you know, I'm more for the combat and I'm more in here for this. And so like you have a very different feel of that story. Like if I, you know, was to record and publish uh, our, ver- our version of Quest for the Frozen Flame, it's not the same as anybody else's. And I've even talked to other GMs who've run it and have been like, oh yeah, my party handled that really differently, you know, because we got yeah. to do, you know, something else. And it's all about you know, the, the people that are involved and a bunch of variables, like, did you have a good role on this save here? Well, then you probably had a very different experience than this other way that it could have gone if everybody failed, right? Yeah. And I'm going to tie it back to what the original, like, topic was, was Please about do. leaving that mystery, is that, like, leaving that mystery leaves open the possibility for all of these different paths and these different stories to even take place. And I think that's important that like, yes, you can end up with your group's quote unquote canon. I was like, but leaving Mm -hmm. those open ended questions and open ended mysteries and open ended whatever, I think is what allows our groups and other D&D groups and Pathfinder groups and whatever groups to form their stories. That's one of the reasons why I like playing anybody's version of the same AP. And I I equate it to the story of A Christmas Carol. It's probably Mm -hmm. familiar to a lot of people Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. it's the same basic It's a huge assumption, TJ. Ah. See, that was was probably okay, though. I was going to say, that's one that was pretty safe. Everyone Mm -hmm. watched The Muppet Christmas Carol, right? Right? (laughs) You went to The Muppets. Okay, all right. But that's kind of the point where everybody has a different way of interpreting a very small story and each one of them is enjoyable and so Mm -hmm. i can play the same ap with five different gms and find something completely enjoyable Mm -hmm. about it even though it's the same subject matter because the way everyone interprets it or reinterprets it i have literally run rise of the rune lords start to finish three times and it was a different experience each time yep so Mm -hmm. um but yeah, we have gotten a little uh, little far off there, and uh, we do want to do some Q&A um, before uh, we wrap things up. So, um, Jordan, do we have any uh, questions from the chat? Oh, my, do we? Okay, so oh, feel great. free to put your uh, your questions in the chat if you would like us to answer them. I'm going to go start scrolling back through here looking for uh, things that are actually questions and not just reactions to uh, what we said previously. 
Um, I made a document for you to put the questions in. Yeah, you know, I was paying too much attention to you, so I'm sorry <laughs> that I actually paid attention for once. I was going to say, why didn't you copy and paste them as they were going? Because <laughs> that would have made right, too much Rachel, sense. Rachel's in charge of that next time. Uh, yeah, well, you know. I'm just teasing. Yeah, I was going to say, funny enough, actually weren't a ton of questions as we were going. Um, there are a lot of people who had a lot of fun theories also that yes. they put in the chat. <laughs> there was some cool um, stuff so if it's up, still yeah. up on Twitch, the replay of this is actually pretty good for all of the, uh, the chat. Um, All right, well, uh, everyone in chat, go ahead and post some questions real quick. And in the meantime, yeah. uh, quick, round table. Everyone go. Uh, favorite Edgar Allan Poe story? Mask of the Red Death. Oh, Mask <laughs> of the Red Death. That's a good one. I'm a Poe fan. I know I'm Rachel's a Poe fan. I'm very much a Poe fan. It's fine if you're not a Poe fan. You can just say I don't oh, like Edgar Allan Poe. Now, po, I will but... preface it with Poe was a grade A butthole. <laughs> like, yes, he was a, that he was, was a weird not, dude. He was he a was really, really mean. weird dude. He was probably an alcoholic. I mean, he maybe had a pet raccoon, though, which is really fun, which is why they included it in the movie with John Cusack. Tangent. Um, but I am well aware that Poe was not necessarily the most admirable human being, but the man could write some stories, and his purple prose is spot on. Mm. Yeah, I'd have to say I'm not a Poe fan. Okay. Uh, I've read uh, probably a fair number of his works in undergrad, but I, that is not the kind of material from that age that I pick up. I'll pick up Emily Dickinson at the drop mm. of a hat, but Poe just doesn't do it for me. Fair enough. Jordan, do you I have a favorite Poe? I read Poe in school. I got mansplained at my work once about Poe, so I think that's why <laughs> I love him even I'm going to say uh, Follow the House of Usher. That's a good one. That's so good. Mm-hmm. And the, the purple prose in that. Um, not going into details or spoilers. So if you have not read Fall of the House of Usher, please do. They're actually going to be making a Netflix series uh, from the guy that did... Uh, uh, what is his name, Rachel? The director. Uh, Flannery? That did the... Yeah, I think so. Um, Haunting oh, of Hill Mike, House. And, Mike Flannery? Uh, Mike Flannery or Flanagan or something like that. I can't remember. Positive. Uh, but anyway, he's going to be doing a Fall of the House of Usher. So I'm very much looking forward to Apparently Mark Hamill's going to be in it. Hmm. I don't know who he's playing, but huh, I love Mark Hamill. Okay, the questions are flowing in, however. Uh, so Good. first off, only one person asked a question the entire first Mike part Flanagan. of it. Mike Flanagan. And thank you for uh. reposting it because I did uh, forget about it. Uh, thoughts on Starfinder 2E and it being 100% compatible with PF2E. Thank you, Bigger Frog. I think that it makes a lot of sense from the... Honestly, I think that we're still seeing the fallout from the OGL at the beginning of the year. And I think it makes a lot of sense for them to... I've probably already been considering doing a second edition considering how popular the three-action economy is in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, doing that for Starfinder, um, how popular a number of the choices are, and how many things in Starfinder that they could tweak or change to improve. In the last couple, there's been a little bit of writing on the wall. The recent announcement as far as the upcoming Starfinder Adventure Path being kind of a rework of the first season of Starfinder Society, I think means that they pulled a lot of their writers away to work on this this new version, this new project. And so I think it's going to be interesting. I like the idea of it being fully compatible because that means that you can buy an ancestry book for Pathfinder and easily reskin it. So if you want hobgoblins in space, if you want uh, lizard folk in space, if you want your cat folk in space, whatever you want in space, uh, it'll be very easy to take the ancestry feats and then port them over. The Aboleth. <laughs> um, I, I'll say from a from a 
put my business hat on here for a second. It makes good business sense to have them be interconnected because it is more efficient to be able to be writing for the same rule system than have to have separate writers who write for two different systems with two different sets of rules, two different ways stat blocks are put together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I did look over the pre-release that they did of the soldier and I have played a soldier in Attack of the Swarm, so I am familiar. Um, it's really interesting because they did a very different flavor of the soldier. So it does look like they are not afraid to do a very different feel for it. Um, the one weird thing that I found with it was it focuses a lot on area attacks and that's kind of like they're trying to different. Tr they said specifically, we don't want the fighter in space. Yeah. Um, so the idea that you could be like, hey, I want to make a melee soldier and just do a fighter. I think it's kind of cool because um, rules wise. Yeah, it's just a fighter. You may have a laser sword, but you're still a fighter, right? Like that's you're primarily yeah. a melee focused, you know, um, you know, high AC character. So I think that's pretty cool um, because they are they are trying to differentiate it because like what's the difference between the Technomancer who was basically space wizard and regular wizard, right? Um, I think that'll be interesting to see how they differentiate the classes to where it would make sense to play a cleric over a mystic, um, for instance. I think it'll be a really interesting uh, thing to see. Nice. Yep. Rachel? Um, I don't know because I haven't played a ton of Starfinder. Um, I just... Okay, repeat the question exactly because I want to make sure that I'm understanding what it's asking me. Uh, just thoughts on Starfinder 2E and it being 100% compatible with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I I like it um, because I have had the uh, the few times that I have played Starfinder, I get frustrated with it because uh, I want it to be more like either Pathfinder one or Pathfinder two, and I was just like, I was like, I don't, why can't I do the thing? Let me do the thing. Stop, you know. And so uh, <laughs> I I like the idea of it being more compatible because I think I think I would play more. Yeah, I think that's fair because like I, we play first and second edition and that's wildly different um, for Pathfinder. And I also play Starfinder, Jess plays Call of Cthulhu, right? Like it's very, I, I, I think every single session I go, is that how this works in Starfinder? Because I can never remember if it's what mm -hmm. I'm thinking of is Pathfinder first edition, second edition or Starfinder. Yep. Yeah, for me, I have two clear reasons to want it. One is uh, my nephew, Ben, is very comfortable with Pathfinder 2E and doesn't mm -hmm. want to have to learn a whole nother game system to play characters from the exact same company so he would yep. like to just step into starfinder using the same 2e rules and just jump right in and then yeah. secondly there's a town called hajaf hakados in numeria which is oh, a place yeah, yeah. where yep. survivors from the starfall ship crash supposedly hide out and are avoiding the monsters of galarian that's what they can refer to the uh the people that are hunting them because they they don't fit in so you could have your Kasathans, you could have your uh, any number of Starfinder races hiding out on the planet of Kalarian already. So why not have rules for them that you can easily switch over? That's true. Yeah. Makes it yeah. a little bit easier to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. All right. Our next question, uh, also from Bigger Frog. What god do you think is going to get killed in the upcoming PF2E event? I've not heard of this event, so I haven't even had a chance to theorize. Ooh. I'm not actually familiar with it either, unless you're talking about the big you know, book 200, but that's just going to be the, um, what is it? Seven dooms for Sandpoint. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, Razmir just because, you know, <laughs> I don't like the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Except that guy. He's not actually a god. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be the fun twist, right? They, they're like, oh, it's going to be a, a deity that's going to die. And it's just Razmir. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, 
I, I didn't know anything about the event either, but if they're going to go for impact, it's got to be one of the big names. Hmm. I mean, I don't like I the just... idea of really killing a god just for the sake of killing a god. Yeah. Um, it's been done. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, one of the uh, one of the core big, you know, what is it, the core 2022? There's a lot. Um, yeah, honestly, if I was going to my mind goes into one of two directions. It's uh, it's either going to be a god that people don't really care that much about, or it's going to be a god people really care about. Yeah. And if I was going to go for maximum impact to shock people, to probably upset some people and upset the status quo and maybe set up an interesting thing for a replacement, I'd go for Caden. I was I thought you were going to oh, say that. I was like, no, he's Kaden. the most no, beloved. No, I love Caden. <laughs> I love Caden so much. He's so beloved. <laughs> but to then set the stage, especially if they wanted to do a test of the Starstone mini adventure oh. for a, for you to establish oh. your own god of adventurers and your own setting, Caden mm. Kaling yeah. would be the interesting. Oh, bit. that would be interesting. Yeah, because then every table could have their own like god of adventuring. Mm. Poor Ooh. Nathan Fillion, we're killing him off again. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to see it be like Shalin or Serenray or Desna or any of those because. You know, Desna, you could do something interesting with because she has that whole battle with the um, the Abyssal Lord. Um, I can't remember basically like mosquitoes and all the rest of that stuff uh, mm. because it killed her uh, mentor figure. Mm. Really upset Heather by killing Zonkathon, though. Yeah. 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 One. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My vote would actually be for Desna only because of we don't know her history. She's an ancient goddess that they've only speculated comes from some other race but they haven't narrowed that down. And so she has so much history invested into Galarian that her removal would put a huge dramatic spin on everything and would give you a reason to sort of reinvent travel, uh, the, the constellations, uh, all of the gods that she's had relationships or is in relationship with. It would be an easy way to stir up a lot of future adventure paths. Yeah, and again, she was uh, she was right there at the beginning as far as the you know establishment of the star um, the was it Swallowtail Festival I believe mm -hmm. in uh, Sandpoint. Yeah, I'm always it's gonna sound weird um, considering that I've killed so many PCs. <laughs> I'm always leery about big deaths being used as plot motivators or movement because uh, the big thing you have when you have a character death is you have to ensure that whatever you're going to set up to follow it is worth losing all of the stories you could have gotten out of that character. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So actually, no, I will throw out one more that I think would be an amazing thing to upset the status quo and move Galarian in a new direction, which would be if Mephistopheles killed um, Asmodeus and became the new Lord of Hell. Hmm. Be I think that that would be very okay. interesting. Yeah. But yeah, let's go ahead and... Uh, answer some more questions. All right, this is gonna be the last question, unfortunately. Uh, we are running out of time. Uh, let's see, uh, Satyri, I always say that wrong, Satyri? I think I say It's probably Satyr. Satyri? I say it wrong, <laughs> I say it wrong every single time, I, know, I apologize. But it's, it's just, it's Satyr, like, like the mythical creature, right? Uh, I, that's what I think so. I mean, anyway. there's a couple extra UIs, but it's still Satyr. Any hoozles. Um, all right, uh, Satyri writes, uh, gonna repeat, a question since we both have a priest and a writer here I'm hoping that Paizo could include some hymns or songs devoted to the various gods in Pathfinder and I was wondering if that was something you were interested in writing hmm. I have done I've, some I've done some I did a hymn for Gorum in uh, um, 
uh, Tyrant's Grasp, actually. On the subject of real-world theodicies on fictional worlds comes with a couple of uh, prefaces. So, for example, if I was to take uh, the Shema, a traditional Jewish prayer said at the beginning, uh, afternoon, and evening night to thank God, then I would want to have it in a way that is respectful to the original source, but also would be developed by a race on Galarian. So it would have to be some god that the people are actually either moment by moment grateful or attentive or devoted. So you could do it for something like Zanguthan because his people basically have a theocracy and that would make sense. Or you could do it with somebody who's like um, Serenre, who all of her people see her as the source of all life. So it could be something they do on a daily basis. You would have to do all of these different traditions, and I think I've offered this to Rachel before, of just a ritual that they do, like the giving of a gold coin to your dear friends to show that as a priest of Abadar, you will never have to pay me for a healing. And you give that in a ritual, saying that your friendship and your giving to me of your time, your effort, your money, whatever, is worth enough to me that that is our exchange. So all of these ritualized ideas would be very, very rich, but you'd have to find a way to do it with deep respect for the social culture. I would love a book on that, though. I know. Oh, yeah. I, I, I really liked um, the God's Book in first edition. Um, yeah. Probably one of my favorite ones, aside from just Ultimate Equipment, because I like stuff. Well, there was already a Lost Omens book that was, um, you know, kind of their atlas that they put out relatively recently that was talking about the various regions and all the rest of that stuff. So they've established a precedent for putting out a book that mostly just talks about a specific subject. So deities would be very interesting. But yeah, uh, actually, before there, there is one question that I saw in the chat, and I'll very quickly answer that, which was a short story recommendation for somebody, uh, which I'm just going to say, I've been recently reading uh, Ray Bradbury's October Country. Um, so it's a collection of short stories. They're all really good. I'm a big Ray Bradbury fan. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for any short stories, go and check that out. It's dark. It's kind of macabre. It's some of his earlier writing before he got a little bit more introspective. So go read The Landlady. Uh, the Landlady's great. Uh, that one includes The Foghorn, which is a really good one. Um, also, Isaac Asimov, uh, for any Asimov fans out there. I've been Asimov's reading his, always a, a good lot choice. of stuff. It's always a good stuff. There's a short story called Nightfall that I've talked to. It blew my mind. I've talked uh, at length with Rachel and Jordan about that. Uh, there's also a novel-length version of it, the short story, in my opinion, better, but I like short stories. As somebody who doesn't really like short stories, I love Asimov's short the stories. The Arena by Frederick Brown. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose we should go ahead and... Uh, and you know, get around to our uh, wrapping things up. We don't really have any announcements or anything else like that to make. Unfortunately, we weren't at Gen Con this year, obviously. It is something that we were hoping to eventually do, but uh, unfortunately, it just really wasn't in the cards for this year. We've had a, a number of different things kind of crop up. So, um, and unfortunately, again, PaisoCon was remote this time. So hopefully we'll be attending some more cons and everything else in the coming year. But for now, we don't really have any announcements pertaining towards that. Uh, TJ, are you working on any projects or anything that you want uh, people to know about? Plug, plug, plug. Hmm, let's see. There is a short story coming out. The <clears> name <throat> is called A Rebel Heart, and it's based in Kantargo because I wanted to do in the same vein of what happens when somebody else's story is going on. So these are some of the background characters and how they're dealing with the events without any spoiling of what's going on in Kantargo and how they're trying to live their lives or survive a significant change to their world. So hmm. that's what I'm currently working on right now. Plus, also, work, work, and raising a teenager, so that sucks <laughs> up most of my time. Those yeah. are projects also, yes. You, you also are, have a delightful children's project. book, too. Mm -hmm. 
It is that true. is called, yeah, Ant Kyra's Hound, spelled K-Y-R-A. Uh, that's on Amazon, and it's a story about a halfling ranger who's teaching her teenage niece how to take care of her riding dog. So it's a really cute little story if you it want to give it a cute. read. The art it's is really book. cute on it. I read it to my three-year-old niece. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super cute. So yeah, go and check that out. And uh, where are you going to be making uh, your short story available? Is that going to be uh, on Infinite? Pathfinder or? Infinite, yeah. Yes. Oh, nice. So nice. hopefully that'll be coming out soon. So keep a keep an eye out, keep a near out for uh, for Rebel Heart. If TJ lets us uh, uh, know whenever that comes out, we'll be sure yep. to name drop that the, in one of the episodes at some point. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, other than that, we do want to take an opportunity, as we so often do, to thank our patrons. We would like to thank TJ in person. Thank you for continued patronage and support. Thank you. Um, and thank you, of course, to all of our Find the Path to your patrons uh, for their also patronage and support. And everyone that has so much has gone on to our Patreon and given us the support that allows us to continue to make these after parties, to continue to run all of these games, to continue to show you our version of these adventure paths, uh, which may you know, the mileage may vary from yours. Um, hopefully it is a well, well spent money, a good investment as it were. And uh, again, if you're listening to this here, if you haven't tried our Patreon and you're interested in doing so, uh, there is a $1 tier on there where you can give $1. You can cancel afterwards if you want, but it does give you access to uh, the first 12 episodes of Tyrant's Grasp. And uh, we've had some really interesting things going on with Tyrant's Grasp. So one, if the talk about Aroden and all the rest of that stuff has kind of intrigued you, there's a little bit of Aroden talk in there. And two, we have had a, a recent episode that some people have argued is maybe the uh, the best episode that we've ever done or possibly the most ridiculous thing that they've ever heard. Uh, one or the <laughs> other, maybe both. both. Why not both? Why not so, both? So, uh, yeah, go and check that out. Honk. Yeah, and other than that, really, that is it for us this week. Uh, we hope that we have filled your mind with various conspiracies to keep you uh, up at night, uh, pinning up string boards all over the place. And until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, Pat Bye. Watch out for Paizo. 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 The dread Paizo. <laughs>